Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, you can follow us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Thursday. We've made it to June, Bob. There's somebody's birthday month as well. June 1st right here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays we have game one of the NBA Finals tonight. So let's toss it on over to KDOS1060.com for our poll question. Set the scene for the show. What happens in Denver for Game 1? And uh, shockingly, it remains 100% of the vote on the Heat plus 9. The Nuggets minus 9, getting no love. Yeah, I don't know if this is the people concerned about the layoff for the Nuggets or whether we just have a bunch of uh, underdog betters here. Let's just go with underdog betters. They listen to you. Okay. That's my preference usually. We'll see if I have a preference in this game by the time we get to the end of the show. So we'll we'll, we'll tease that for the next couple hours. All right. We'll see if we can uh, find some angles as we dissect that game a little bit uh, later on in the show. We'll, of course, answer that question around uh, 1130 today. Flipping this on over to Twitter, Bob had a conversation with Bob Nightingale, USA Today, and if you missed any of that, you can always podcast over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS 1060 app. Which of these disappointing Major League Baseball teams to date is most likely to make a playoff run in 2023? You have San Diego out in front at 58.3% of the vote, Seattle Seattle trailing at 16.7% and Toronto at 25% of the vote. Yeah, and uh, also uh, our conversation with Bob, we went through all three of these teams, uh, and he seems least uh, enthused about San Diego turning it around. (laughs) And that's what the masses have, uh, is San Diego turning things around. That's on Twitter at KDOSAM1060, and we'll also uh, answer that question around 1130 today. Before... I get into uh, all things for today's topics. We'll take your calls as well at 1030 and 1115, 602, 260, 1060, of course, is the number. Bob, today is a, in a big day for the company. Uh, we're owned by Hubbard Broadcasting, and Hubbard Broadcasting is celebrating its 100th year today. Uh, and then there was a little tidbit that apparently there are only 0.8% of U.S. companies that are have been around for at least 100 years. So that's kind of cool that we're in the 0.8% of uh, U.S. companies here that have reached 100 years. Okay. Um, yeah, not that far short of 100 years. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Um, uh, you mentioned birthday month and uh, going to be 66 here in a couple of weeks. That, well, by my six, calculations, that's still pretty far away from 100. I think it's 66, so you kind of lose track after a while. So, yeah, 66. I got to do some math. So, 
Fair enough. As I mentioned, uh, your calls today, 1030 and 1115, 602, 260, 1060. Let's start the conversation with yesterday evening's news. Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that former Suns head coach Monty Williams agreed to a six-year, $78.5 million contract with the Detroit Pistons. According to Woj, this is the largest coaching deal in NBA history. Sham Sharania uh, also adds that the deal could reach eight years and $100 million based on team options and incentives. What was your first reaction to seeing Monty getting, one, another head coaching opportunity, and two, uh, the deal associated with it? I think everybody, unless he wanted to just sit out a year, I mean, if he wants to coach, he's not going to have problems getting a job. And he was 20 days unemployed uh, from the day that the Suns fired him to the day that he got hired by the Pistons. As far as uh, you know, the you know the salary, which there seems to be some significant discrepancy between news organizations on the actual salary itself, but uh, the six-year thing—that's that's an interesting deal that uh, they'd commit six years. And considering the Pistons haven't made the playoffs since I think it's the 2015-16 season, or now you'd be 14-15. It's been a long time. Uh, they're desperate and. Yeah, they've got some young young players. They've had the, this is going to be their fourth lottery pick in three years. Uh, so you know they got to keep these guys healthy because unfortunately Cunningham's been hurt quite a bit. He was the first overall pick two years ago and only played a dozen games this past year. But they've done, they've got some interesting talent. Um, you know, if you're kind of starting from scratch, which they've been doing uh you know i think they've, they've at least i'm not a big Jaden you know, Jaden ivy fan quite frankly i thought he was an overrated player at purdue and i just don't know how he really becomes a difference maker in the nba i'm in the minority there by the way i think most people completely think otherwise but uh like i said i'm not exactly sure you know where he really excels in the nba i think he you know, if they continue to be bad, he's going to stock. You know, Ivy's going to stack up some nice numbers, but I don't know if he's a difference-making player on a team that would be a playoff team. Well, let's go through some of the players that are currently on this roster that Monty will be heading up. Uh, you do have Margin, Marvin Bagley III at age 24 under contract for 2023, 2024, 2024, and 2025 seasons. And uh, this, of course, is a Detroit Pistons team that finished 17 and 65 last season. And uh, certainly Marvin Bagley III uh, started his career in Sacramento, now here with Detroit. And played high school ball here. And I saw him play a couple high school games here, and I was unimpressed at that point. And I've rarely been impressed with him ever at any level, college, high school, or pro. Uh, Bojan Bogdanovic at age 34, under contract for 2023, 2024, 2024, and 2025. Uh, he does have a hefty contract, though, so maybe that makes it challenging for uh, them to move on from him. But maybe he's potentially somebody that there's a, some trade options with if they don't want like that veteran voice and want to just go into a total rebuild under Monty Williams. Yeah, I think it's tough to trade him because there certainly you know, should have been a market for him this last season, and uh, he's in Detroit. So um, it doesn't seem to be likely he's going to be traded at least this offseason. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm sure there's all kinds of salary cap implications and so forth that 
not exactly sure what his, you know, what the, you know, how would you sell trading him to another team um, before the season starts? I think he's more of a guy at the trade deadline, but then again, maybe he just, there's not a big demand for him. And uh, there certainly was not last year. Uh, then you had also mentioned Cade Cunningham at age 21. He has team options 2023, 2024 seasons, 2024 and 2025, and he'll be coming back from injury after he had shin surgery. He only played 12 games last year, 19.9 points per game, 41.5% shooting from the floor, and average six assists in those 12 games. Obviously, the potential, though, for Cade Cunningham, if he can stay healthy, is sky high. Absolutely. Now, this is a guy that actually is somebody that has a chance to be a high-level of NBA, a high-level NBA player. He makes others better around him because he's a really, you know, excellent distributor of the basketball. And uh, so, this is a guy you can build your franchise around. Uh, then you had also mentioned Jaden Ivey at age 21. He's under contract for 2023-2024. Then there are team options for him in the 2024-2025 seasons in 2025 and 2026. He played in 74 games. He started 73 of them last season, averaging 16.3 points per game, 41.6% from the floor, and 5.2 assists per game. Kind of reminds me a little bit of a uh, right-handed D'Angelo Russell. Uh, which is, if you've listened in the past, uh, or if you haven't, uh, that's not a compliment. Uh, so, like I said, I'm in the minority here. Most people think that Ivy has, you know, he certainly has unbelievable ability. I thought that his career at Purdue was overrated. Uh, and uh, against some of the better teams that he faced at Purdue, he didn't do particularly well. I remember throwing out those numbers before last year's draft against, you know, ranked opponents and, what well, you you would consider you know you know top level competition uh, did not have some of his uh, did not have very many good games quite frankly. Uh, then they also have James Wiseman here. He's just 22 years old, under contract for 2023 and 2024 season. I, I guess at this point, can you get something out of James Wiseman? I have no idea. Uh, based on his days at Memphis, where which were maybe 15 games total. Uh, with the suspension that he had at Memphis uh, from the NCAA, and uh, there were issues there. Obviously, the Warriors tried to give him, uh, you know, he had you know, certain, more than one opportunity to you know, contribute to a championship-level team, and they decided it wasn't going to work. Uh, so he's, uh, once again, kind of the way that the NBA's played now. I'm not exactly sure where his you know, size and his skill set fits in. Uh, Isaiah Stewart at age 22 under contract for the 2023-2024 season and yet again another just really young guy for Monty Williams. Yeah, I'm, I like him. I liked him a lot in college, but uh, the, he's just a complimentary player in the NBA because I don't think he's a starting player on a good team if they ever became a good team. Uh, so I think uh, he's a bench guy. Uh, on on a team like this, and uh, you know, well, maybe on this team like this, he probably is, ends up starting, but uh, not a guy that uh, I think is going to be a difference maker in his NBA career. More of a complimentary player. 
The Pistons also will have the fifth overall pick in this upcoming NBA draft. They'll also have pick number 31. So as we've been going through some of the roster uh, construction here, there's going to there's a lot of youthful pieces that you like, some pieces that maybe uh, you don't like, and they're still going to be in their rebuilding process. But when we look at Monty Williams, is this a great fit for him that he can mold a young team? He can kind of turn them around, establish a change, establish a culture, and uh, get some buy-in to improve things like he did here in Phoenix? Because as you started the program, uh, it's been quite a long time since Detroit has made the playoffs. Yeah, I'm not that crazy about uh, the talent level, but I will say that the talent level that he inherits in Detroit is better than what he inherited here. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. But, you know, they obviously made you know, some uh, nice transactions here early in the James Jones era. And obviously the Chris Paul trade really helped the Suns improve their status. And uh, But, you know, I'll also say that, you know, you know, DeAndre Ayton is better than anybody that's currently on the Pistons roster. And, yeah, he was, of course, the number one pick of the draft for the Suns. Um, I was asked this question last night that, you know, Monty Williams here, another team being willing to make him the highest paid coach in NBA history. Does that change anything in your mind about the team that let the coach go? And for me, it doesn't change anything in my mind because obviously uh, ownership here wanted something that Monty just wasn't. And so I don't really think somebody else viewing Monty in more high regard and high esteem changes that fact. Does it change anything? anything for you no because the Suns were stupid to fire him to begin with they fired the wrong guy James Jones should have gone he did a poor job and he had yeah I think he did a really good job in his early tenure as the Suns GM but the last couple of off seasons he had ample time to improve the bench which was bad before the trade with Durant and now it's just atrocious and uh, basically they're starting from scratch as far as the bench goes again so for the Suns, they still have yet to make a hire, and it's reportedly down to three candidates. Taking a closer look at these three candidates, Kevin Young. Young is 41 years old. His NBA coaching career, 2017 to 2020 with the 76ers. That's where he knew Monty Williams from their time being um, assistant coaches there. 2021 to now with the Suns. He also earned the title of associate head coach after the 2021 season. He was an NBA D-League coach with various different teams from 2009 to 2017, either as an assistant or as a head coach? Uh, I'm not in favor of this. Maybe I'm just uh, – I'm, I'm probably not judging him correctly. I don't really know much about him. I'm not exactly sure how much game-to-game uh, -game input he had with uh, the Suns, but I think it would be disappointing if you fired Monty Williams and hired their to his top assistant. I'm a little confused as to why you fire Monty Williams, Number uh, which I'm which I'm obviously against. I was against to begin with. Sorry to step on you there. Uh, two no on problem. the list, Doc Rivers, 61 years old, uh, 1999 to 2003 Orlando Magic head coach, 2004 to 2013 with the Boston Celtics, 2013 to 2020 with the Los Angeles Clippers, and 2020 to this season with the Philadelphia 76ers. He, of course, won an NBA title in 2008 with the Celtics. His all-time head coaching record, 1,097 wins, 763 losses. 
losses, his playoff coaching record, 104 and 100. In his career, uh, he has only missed making the playoffs four seasons out of his entire tenure. He's one and one in the NBA Finals, and he does have eight conference semifinals exits. Yeah, I would be completely in favor of the you know the candidates that are out there, and we'll get to the third one here in a minute. Uh, but uh, I think that Doc is by far the best of the uh, three candidates that supposedly the Suns are choosing between. Frank Vogel, he's the third one that it's at least reportedly been whittled down to. 49 years old, 2011-2016 Pacers head coach. I completely forgot about this two-year stint. 2016 to 2018 as the Orlando Magic head coach. And then 2019 to 2022, the Lakers head coach. He was the 2020 NBA champion with the Lakers in the bubble. His career coaching record, 431 wins, 389 losses. His playoff coaching record, 49 and 39. He also has only missed four playoff series in his career, uh, but obviously not as long as Doc Rivers has coached. Yeah, I'm completely against the Frank Vogel idea. Uh, I wouldn't pay any attention to the Lakers situation. They won in the bubble. That's when they have obviously the long break before the bubble. And LeBron and Anthony Davis were both healthy. I think there's a whole lot of coaches that would have won in those circumstances that particular year with all the things around the, that was going on in the NBA and the world in general at that point. The thing I most remember about Frank Vogel is he coached one of the worst Game 7s in playoff history when the Pacers should have won Game 7 at Miami against the Heat when they had you know the big three, and he completely coached them out of winning that series. Totally. Let me ask this follow-up question about Frank Vogel because the main sentiment is that he brings a defensive mindset to the team. Would it make sense to bring him aboard as an assistant head coach or an associate head coach for that defensive? Uh, because I, I think we've also seen, and you've talked about it a lot, uh, just the way that the Suns have currently played, defense was an issue. I think the biggest problem is they don't have players that are you know, going to play defense or can play defense. It goes back to the roster thing, and James Jones still being employed uh, instead of Monty Williams is foolish. And uh, I, you know, I don't think there's a coach in the history of basketball that could get this team to play a good defense. Uh, well, so that's where currently things stand. The three potential candidates for the Phoenix Suns uh, coaching candidates as well have been getting hired. You did have it make it official this morning with the 76ers introducing Nick Nurse. Uh, then you also have Monty Williams and everything here with the Detroit Pistons. There is still basketball, though, going on. Game number one of the NBA Finals is tonight. We'll get into that on the other side of the break. It's the Heat and the Nuggets, a 5.30 p.m. start on ABC so we'll try to uh, figure out how these two teams are going to match up against one another and uh, dissect the contest from Denver tonight. Denver has to be anxious to finally get to play some basketball as it's been a bit of a layoff for them while the Heat were uh, battling it out with the Celtics in a game seven. So we'll talk about the NBA Finals game number one next. It is the Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. We'll do what's best for the team, and we'll do what's best for you. The Rich Eisen Show, coming to you weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com.
Finals is tonight featuring the Heat and the Nuggets. It's the extra point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The line, Heat plus nine, Nuggets minus nine. Uh, Question here for you. How much does nearly two weeks off help or hurt the Nuggets? And does it maybe impact the role players more either keeping them in or out of rhythm as opposed to maybe the stars? And I have no idea. That's a good question, which means I don't have a good answer. <laughs> um, I think that's a legitimate question. I would assume, you know, if I had to guess, there's going to be some rust in at least in the first half of this game. But then you got to kind of wonder in the second half, it, you know, the, 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 the 10 days off and so forth, or the 10 days between their last game and this one, uh, whether the second half they'll have more energy once they maybe you know, get back acclimated into playing against the Heat team, which is coming off what I think is safe to say is a grueling seven-game series against the Celtics. Yeah, uh, that leads me to my next question here from a, a Heat side of things. How much does the altitude playing after a mentally taxing seven-game series and just wrapping up on Monday potentially impact the Heat? I think it could play a role, uh, but then again, uh, just look at the last series against the Lakers. The Lakers seem to be more affected in Game 2 uh, than they were in Game 1 of that series, so not sure how the, you know, that if that's going to play uh, here. Obviously, the Heat have been in Denver for a couple of days now, uh, but I remember the Suns showed up a couple of days before the first game against the Nuggets, and they were terrible in the first game in that series. Uh, so I, I think we can all agree here that uh, just from a size standpoint, uh, they don't really have anyone that can match up against Jokic. So trying to figure out what to do to guard him is going to be a key component to figure out how the Heat are going to be able to uh, stick in this series. So do you try to make Jokic a facilitator? Do you try to make him a scorer? Because obviously when he's doing both, you as the opponent get crushed. Yeah, I have no idea what Spolster's going to try to do. I don't know if anybody does, unless you're in the Heat uh, you know, community uh, and uh, you know, and you know the game planning and so forth. Uh, you know, he usually does some things that are a little unconventional, no matter what the playoff series. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I also think that it's not just the size disadvantage I have against Jokic. I think you can pretty much say every position. They have a size disadvantage, not necessarily height, but just, you know, kind of like a physical build. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, physically speaking, I'm not real sure how the Heat try to match up or if they can match up in this series. Also taking a look at how the Heat have been successful in these playoffs, it's that they shoot the three. And what the Nuggets have been able to do really well in these playoffs is defend the three. Uh, so the Heat's success is a team, they're shooting 39% from behind the arc, but the Nuggets' defense only allows 9.9 threes per game in the playoffs. So for the Heat, you know, it is the recipe to just keep doing what you've been doing, firing up those threes, or do you try to get a two-point game going uh, even though that hasn't been the keys to success for you so far in these playoffs? I wouldn't pay any attention to the Heat, uh, excuse me, the Nuggets' defensive numbers against the three in, these post, uh, in this postseason. The, uh, the Timberwolves are not good at shooting the three. 
the Lakers don't make a high volume of threes usually, at least uh, most most of the time. And the Suns sometimes do, but the Suns had a lot of open looks in that series that they lost against the Nuggets. So I think that the Nuggets' numbers could be extremely misleading as far as their three-point defense so far in the playoffs. If, if it were you trying to figure out what to do, obviously Spolstra is going to come up with several different things, and we've talked about it before in these playoffs, that uh, you make adjustments, you know, certainly from game one to game two as well, trying to figure out you know, what chess match you're going to be playing. But if you're Miami, would you try to control the pace and, and slow it way down? They want to run. I mean, uh, certainly their best moments in the playoffs so far is when they've been – you know, I mentioned uh, yesterday the, the fast break points that they had you know, in that last game against the Celtics, and that was a huge difference for them. And uh, when they've had you know, the edge and fast break points, and uh, I don't have the whole you know breakdown from every game of the postseason, but it sure seems like when they have uh, the edge and fast break points, uh, the chances of them winning are high, much higher than they have been when they played half-court basketball. You know, certainly on paper, this does seem like a huge mismatch. You mentioned not only just height, but just strength overall, uh, you know, just kind of girth of the different players here. Uh, but the Heat keep, keep defying odds. So the question is, can they do it again? Or, you know, does this really just seem like the fact that the, the Nuggets, though, when you look at the Celtics also were a big mismatch for the Heat, but there was a big coaching disadvantage, also seemed like they didn't play with a lot of uh, offensive sets, etc. That's not how the Denver Nuggets are going to approach this. No, they're not. Uh, you know, the Nuggets, uh, you know, their their depth, which you know, I think is maybe a little bit overrated because they've used a little less of that depth as the playoffs have continued here. Uh, so I don't know if that's as big a deal as I've heard it made out to be the last two or three days here. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. You know, for instance, you know, Bron- you know, you know Christian Brown from, uh, you know, can- the Kansas rookie, he plays less and less all the time as we've continued throughout the playoffs here. And that's with good reason because he just hasn't played particularly well in a lot of these playoff games. So he's like their eighth or ninth guy, depending on you know, what the original plan was and which plan you actually believe was the original plan. That seems to be some debate about, debate about that, too. Uh, so I don't think there's the massive you – know, the one thing I've disagreed with the most the last you know, three days or so since we've known what the matchup is officially is that the, uh, you know, the, the Nuggets have this you know, depth advantage. But you know, I don't think that they really do at this point. So I think that's the one thing that the Heat, especially if Hero plays at some point in this series and he's already not – he's been ruled out for tonight. Uh, if they have him back, I think that kind of helps uh, – you know, adds another guy, obviously, to the uh, rotation for Miami, which they really you – know, he's been out since the first game of the uh, you know, the playoffs. Uh, and uh, you know, if he comes back, that gives them another offensive player. He's not going to really help you too much at the defensive end, but, uh, you know, but he's, better than, uh, he's better than Robinson is at the defensive end, who's completely worthless at that end of the floor. Yeah, Hero uh, broke his hand there in that very first contest against Milwaukee, and everyone kind of thought, oh, the Heat are done now. They don't have their their three-point guy. Uh, and then 
you also lose Victor Oladipo, and yet here the Heat are uh, in the NBA Finals. We'll get into uh, what we think is going to happen for tonight with the Heat plus nine, Nuggets minus nine as part of today's KDOS1060.com poll question around 1130 today. But it's your turn if you'd like to join the conversation, 602-260-1060. We'll uh, get to your calls now and talk to you on the other side of the break, 602-260-1060. We'll also dive into some of the players that have made decisions to withdraw their name from the NBA draft uh, get your perspective on a few of those players who are coming back to college uh, I know that you're you're a big fan of this whole process if you will uh, at least like excitement for for who's uh who's coming Pretty fired up about this well, this will be an interesting segment <laughs> So we'll get into that as well, but feel free to give us a, a call, 602-260-1060. It is The Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 uh, app powered by Superbook Sports. Carving out time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show right here on KDUS AM 1060, 100.7 HD2, and KDUS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Bob Kemp, Kayla Morslaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the conversation. Uh, there was the deadline yesterday for players to make the choice. Are they going to stay in the NBA draft process or are they going to withdraw their name and return back to school? I thought we could go through a couple of those players who decided to return back to school. And we first have to start with player of the year, Zach Eady. Uh, he's set to return to Purdue. He averaged 22.9 points and 12.9 rebounds and shot 60.7% from the floor. Despite that, despite the accolades, he was ranked 47th on ESPN's 2023 NBA draft rankings and the fourth center in the NBA draft. Is there anything Edie can do to improve his game and to make himself an NBA player? I don't think so. Uh, actually, he has ball skills, and he's just not a tall dude. Um, so uh, I'm just trying to think of a system that would work out, you know, with a particular team where the system would be best for him. I'm sure there is one, but there's not one that comes off the top, comes to mind off the top of my head. Uh, I can't help myself here, Kayla. I apologize ahead of time, but I, this whole process is absurd. Um, you know, you've got people, you know, I understand why the NBA went to the period where we're going to you know, come out and do the combine or you know, we'll, you know, talk to some NBA people, you know, official NBA people and not your best friend or your you know, supposed representative or whatever, and maybe get uh, an ill-fated opinion, uh, an, an inaccurate, inaccurate opinion on your, on your skill set. But they should have been able to – you should know at the end of the college season whether you're ready for the NBA or not. There should be a better process. This is better than the one they had, but this whole thing is just absurd. 
Uh, number two, Adem Bona returning to UCLA. He averaged 7.7 points, 5.3 rebounds, 1.7 blocks in 23 minutes per game last year. He was the Pac-12 freshman of the year. He made the all-defensive team. And we talked about how uh, UCLA's uh, tournament run hopes certainly hit the skids a bit with Bona's injury. He did have surgery on his shoulder to repair that tor- torn labrum back in early April. He was ESPN's 2020. Three NBA draft ranking at number 48. Yeah, there's zero chance, and I mean zero chance, that he could be a contributing NBA player anytime in the next couple of years at least. Uh, so once again, it's kind of a mystery to me why he even explored the process. Uh, Dylan Mitchell returning to Texas. He averaged 4.3 points and 3.9 rebounds in 17 minutes. He entered his freshman year as a projected top 10 pick, but his stock declined after he was used less and less. He was uh, ESPN's 2023 NBA draft ranking at number 41. I think all you need to know is uh, I don't even know if he was in the rotation for Texas at the end of the year. Uh, Reese Beekman returning to Virginia, ACC Defensive Player of the Year. Adding a more consistent jump shot will be important for him. He was uh, ranked number 43 in ESPN's 2023 NBA draft uh, process. Yeah, another guy that just had, you know, there's zero chance that he's a contributing NBA player uh, for the for next couple of years. And uh, another guy, I just don't even understand why he's in the process. Uh, Shifting away from college basketball, but sticking in the world of college athletics, uh, you had a couple of different things happening in the college football world yesterday. The SEC was holding meetings, and uh, the hope was that there was going to be a long-term decision made for SEC football and whether or not they would be uh, deciding on an eight- or a nine-game conference schedule. Turns out that after the SEC meetings, uh, there's no resolution to whether or not there's going to be an eight- or nine-game conference schedule. You had a couple of different athletic directors speaking to different outlets. Alabama's athletic director, Greg Byrne, said that there is uncertainty about the role strength of schedule is going to play to determine the 12 team college football playoff so therefore until they kind of understand that they don't want to uh, either hurt or help themselves with an eight or nine game conference schedule Florida athletic director Scott Strickland cited that the cost and logistics of buying out non-conference games in 2024 and beyond of the SEC uh would also be a factor here if they were to just arbitrarily make that decision before those sorts of avenues were explored. Obviously, this has not been um, the first time, though, that an eight or a nine game conference schedule for the SEC has been brought up. Right. In fact, I think that Nick Saban brings this up like every 20 minutes. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, Greg Burns, 100 percent correct. I I really don't know how they can make a kind of a decision here until they know what the the qualifications are going to be to make the 12-team field, which you know starts in a couple of years. Uh, so, uh, you know, Greg Burney used to be the University of Arizona athletic director uh, before he got the Alabama gig. But uh, yeah, so I think that that uh, kind of falls in line with what's going on there. And I also understand uh, the idea of uh, you know, you know, the buyouts that they would have to have for a short period of time and a turnaround. They, you know, I don't know how they can decide anything at this point. 
without knowing the parameters of the near future. And I mean near future, like two seasons from now. Yeah, you also have to factor in as well that uh, they're going to be adding a couple of new schools here really soon. That is also true. And we're assuming that's going to happen in the 2024 season. So uh, I don't think we know that for sure yet, but it seems to be assumed that OU and Texas are going to be doing uh, that change after this upcoming year, leaving the Big 12, and they'll be in the SEC starting in 2024. Uh, some other things that we do know, though, ESPN announced their week one of college football here. So does Florida at Utah get you excited for Thursday, August 31st at 5 p.m. on ESPN? Well, I'll pay attention because it's a college football game. So, yeah, I'll pay attention. I guess that's a revenge game uh, for Utah. So we'll see how that goes. Florida fortunate to hang on and beat them in the swamp last year. Uh, so, uh, you know, the other thing, uh, I think the biggest thing about the, the upcoming year in college football is, uh, the, you know, some of the television networks have changed and, you know, CBS is now big 10 and not SEC. Uh, so you know, that's a huge difference in ESPN, uh, has, you know, ended its affiliation, basically basketball and football wise with the big 10. Uh, then you also move into Friday, September 1st. It's going to be Louisville versus Georgia Tech, 4.30 p.m. on ESPN. And then their Saturday slate of games, uh, Virginia versus Tennessee, Arkansas State at Oklahoma. Those are the 9 a.m. windows. Then Boise State at Washington and UMass at Auburn is the 12.30 p.m. windows. New Mexico at Texas A&M. And then North Carolina versus South Carolina in the 4 o'clock windows. And then Coastal Carolina at UCLA rounding things out at 7.30 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, because it's the Labor Day weekend, you have a game on Sunday, a standalone game there. September 3rd, LSU versus Florida State. And it's a revenge game for last, from last year. I mean, that was uh, you know, obviously LSU uh, really outplayed them for a lot of that game last year and then just kind of gagged it away at the end. They got stopped at the goal line. And then the two-point conversion situation, and that was an interesting call. Uh, LSU got much better during the season. Uh, Florida State's uh, an interesting team. and They definitely improved during the season uh, a year ago. But, uh, you know, so with, you know, I, I, that was – was, I, I don't remember if they played the Sunday, wind, Sunday game last year or was the Monday – it might have been the Monday game. I thought it was game, Monday. The last game of the weekend. Yeah, it might have been the last game of the weekend. But – they had a standalone game last year, the first weekend, and that was uh, an interesting game as it turned out and actually didn't really hurt uh, LSU any because obviously they ended up in the SEC championship game because they beat Alabama in conference play. And this year's Monday contest, September 4th, is going to be Clemson at Duke, 5 p.m. on ESPN. It's just kind of interesting because we want – in a way for the very first games of the year to have some sort of intrigue behind it. But maybe it doesn't make the most sense for the teams to have their week one game be such a, a thrilling contest, if you will, because you, you, the college teams need some time to kind of get warmed up a little bit. Yeah, I can't imagine a game I'd be less interested in in Duke and Clemson. Um yeah, maybe if you could take the Duke basketball program and the Clemson football <laughs> program and have them play each other somehow, uh, that would get my attention. And uh, But uh, Duke, Clemson, and uh, the football field, 
unless Duke is uh, they they I, I can't imagine there's any reason I'd pay any attention to this game quite frankly. Uh, so that is the ESPN Week 1 slate of college football. Yesterday we had gone through uh, some of the Pac-12 with uh, ASU and the U of A to get things started. On the other side of the break, we'll take a look at how the PGA Tour, the Memorial Tournament, is going, see how our guys are performing, and also an interesting story here about Brant Snedeker. I'm sure you remember the name, a blast from the past. Well, what has he been up to? This story is quite interesting uh and he's competing in this week's memorial tournament so we'll uh dive into all of that on the other side of the break as we wrap up our number one of this thursday june 1st edition of extra point bob kemp kayla mortellaro with you right here on kdos am 1060 Download today to hear all of the national and local shows you love. That's the KTUS 1060 app. Wrapping up our number one on this Thursday, June 1st. Bob Cam, Kayla Mortellaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. As always, follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Powered by Superbook Sports as we take a look at the PGA Tour. The Memorial Golf Tournament is underway. And one of our guys, Bob Shane Lowry, the uh, Irishman, he got his day started here. He made par on the first hole. And then he managed to rattle off five straight birdies. And you thought mm. to yourself, we're on a 59 watch. Uh, and then he proceeded to make a couple of bogeys. And then he really kind of started to uh, stumble a bit. But then he rallied and he finished the day at three under par. So that's good enough right now for a tie for second place. Leading the field right now is Matt Wallace at four under par. There's a whole host of guys at two at three under par uh, tied for second. Danny Willett, Adam Hadwin, Mark Hubbard, Shane Lowry, Austin Ekro, David Lipsky and Ben Griffin all at three under par. A few of them just getting their round started, and several of them are done for the day. As we look at uh, how our other guys are doing, Keith Mitchell, who we took in a top 40, he had a solid start to the day at minus one. He's done for the day. That's good enough for a tie for 18th. Victor Hovland, he also shot one under par. That's good enough for a tie for 18th. Siwoo Kim, we took him in a top 30. He also shot one under par. Good enough for tied for 18th. You're asking about the big guys. Scotty Sheff and uh, you know what? The wheels kind of came off a little bit here. He might just be a bit mentally and physically exhausted from the amount of golf that he's playing. He shot two over par. And when you're just looking at Scotty's game right now, the, the, the thing that we've been monitoring is just how good he's been ball striking, whether it's off the tee, whether it's approach to the green, and the areas of emphasis that he's really been struggling with is putting. And that continued once again today as he lost three points. 0.225 strokes on the greens uh so 
not the the consistency that we have come to know from Scotty Scheffler here. And that's always the scary part when you're looking at how things have been unfolding on the PGA Tour where the top of the board keeps winning. But when you're looking at the odds and what they were set at, taking something like plus 600 is so hard to do. He goes out and shoots plus two today. Uh, obviously, he's capable of going low and can get himself back into uh, at least making the cut tomorrow. So we'll see how things unfold there. Uh, John Rahm, though, he also played in the morning. He shot two under par. That's good enough for tied for ninth right now. When it comes to some of the other bigger names, Rory McIlroy, he just got his round started. He's one under par through four. And our other guy that we took that was 10 to one odds, Patrick Cantlay, he's even through four. So we'll th- see how things unfold and continue to update as the memorial is ongoing. My story about Brant Snedeker, uh, we kind of know him as being maybe a little bit of a putting specialist. He has what's known as that pop stroke, putts really well on Poana Greens, has great success in California. He's been a part of some Ryder Cup teams, etc. And then we haven't heard his name for quite a while. And I guess there was this major injury that he suffered to his sternum. And it's like this sternum displacement. And he was explaining that most of the time, this comes from somebody who's been involved in a serious car crash. He has not been in a serious car crash, so he's not really sure how this has happened. So the the pain has been really bad, and he's not been able to play golf, and just living life has been quite challenging for him. So he underwent an experimental surgery back in December. The way that Brant Snedeker described it here is that they took a bone from his hip and they cut his sternum open created basically a new sternum with this bone from the hip and now he's back after nine months of not playing golf in this week's tournament here giving it a go uh and he is even par right now through three holes so we'll continue to monitor brant snedeker in his return to competition but this experimental surgery he said he's only the second person on record to ever have this surgery where they took the bone from the hip and basically recreated a sternum for him. Craziness. Seems like the definition of experimental. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yes. Appropriately worded by Brant Snedeker. Uh, That'll conclude hour number one. Hour number two is coming up. Uh, We'll get into Jim Bowden of The Athletic. He's got his power rankings and some early trade discussions, so we'll dive into all of that next.